0: All this month, we're asking you to tell a friend about a podcast they'll love. Right now, think of a friend, your mom, anyone you care about. What podcast would they really love? Got it? Now do it. Tell them about it in real life or on social media. And if they don't know about podcasts, show them how to use them. Tell us what you recommend with the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y-P-O-D. Thanks for spreading the word. the ringer nfl show my name is robert mays i'm a writer at the ringer we're going to be welcomed by lance airline of nfl.com in a bit but before we do i wanted to chat with you guys a little bit about what's going to happen over the next few weeks here uh free agency is pretty much over you know there's some other dominoes they're going to have to fall but most of the big names have already landed where they're going to so we're going to get started on the draft it's never too early what we're going to do is once a week it's either going to be me and some of the ringer crew or me and someone who actually knows what they're talking about in regards to this stuff and we're going to chat one position involved in this year's draft. You know, who the guys are, who we prefer compared to the other people that are available. And that's what's going to happen all the way until we get going. If there's some huge news, we'll obviously hit it. You know, we're set up for emergency podcasts and things of the like. But right now, it's going to be one draft show a week until we get there. So without further ado, we're going to start with the running backs. And we're going to chat with Lance Zerline of NFL.com because in this draft, I'm not sure there's a better place to start. And now we're pleased to welcome Lance Zerline of NFL.com. Lance, thank you so much for doing this. We did this last year. It was a huge help for me just getting my bearings because this is the time in the calendar where I actually learn things.
1: Yeah, no, I, I enjoy it, you know, and I think this is the time of year where, you know, for me, I've been looking at these guys for quite some time. I started really in earnest in November. Um, it really cranks up in December, January, you know, obviously February. So for me, there's a lot of times where I'm looking at guys and have opinions and there's no one for me to talk to about other than you know, <laughs> various scouts and road scouts. That, hey, what about this guy? And, you know, because they've been looking at these players for two, three years in some instances. So it's kind of cool that everyone's catching up on these players now. And there's a lot of different opinions that are starting to, to, to you know, to, to percolate.
0: Yeah, I really don't start until free agency is over. And thankfully, free agency was a little earlier this year. So we got in and out of it. Just, there's not enough time. I mean, I'm looking at who's signing where and who should get signed where and watching tape on those guys during the season. I don't watch much college football. So post-free agency pre-draft this month and a half or so is when I really start to dig in. And it's always fun. And I think that with this class, there was no other place to start. Now, the quarterbacks will dominate headlines in a certain way until we get to the draft But running back is the big position here just because, in a way, it's a departure from what we've seen in the past. In the last couple of years, we saw a running back or two go in the top half of the first round. This year, some of the biggest stars in college football were running backs. So I think that those three guys from more or less Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey. Those are the three guys that have dominated a lot of the talk surrounding this entire class. So that's where I wanted to get going.
1: Yeah, let's, let's go. I mean, you know, for me, it's a very interesting running back class because I think there's something for everyone in here. And, and I think every year you look at this, there's always, I feel like there's always, you know, I'm a big movie fan as well. And I feel like there's always different types of, of um, characters almost. There's almost different character types that you can take a look at in every draft, really at almost every position. You could give me a position and I could tell you, for example, this is the year of the the tall, long cornerback, an unusual amount of long playmaking cornerbacks are available this year, six-two or tall. I've never seen anything like this. And running back, when you look at it, you know, you've know you got one guy who is the monster. You've got the 1-2, the in my opinion, are the guys that you mentioned, Fournette and Cook. Um, one guy is a more classic running back, Dalvin Cook, who has the vision and some shiftiness and can help out the backfield. And, and then you have a guy who's just a physical freight train. I mean, he's he's a guy who's a monster. He's a physical monster that we really haven't seen, I think, since Adrian Peterson. But Peterson wasn't even this big. No. So, I mean, when you're talking about this kind of size and speed, it's a rare, rare size, speed, explosiveness, um, power type of, of trait that he has. But he's not the talented running back that Dalvin Cook is. He's not even a – I don't think he – I mean, he doesn't even have the talent that a, that a Christian McCaffrey has as in terms of being a pure – Running back, but when you have elite physical traits like this, it pushes guys up the board because those guys can overcome the athleticism and speed and power of the NFL. They they match up with it and in many cases. They can fight through it. So I
0: wanted to start with Cook and Fournette just as a comparison. I think we're going to do a lot of that on these podcasts. Just two guys at the top. Who would you prefer? And like you said, I think that's an interesting kind of analogy. The idea that they are characters in a sort of film, and when you're looking at running backs, especially the amount of different kinds of characters, the amount of different genres is crazy. You know, you can be an incredible comedic actor, but if you ask somebody to be the lead guy in a dramatic role, sometimes they can't do that. And it feels like Cook and Fournette are that in a way. You know, Fournette is in a power-based offense where there's a lot of obvious seams and he's got to hit it hard, I think that he could be really successful. If he's going to play in an outside zone offense where he's got to have a ton of vision and be shiftier, that may be more problematic. So you're not comparing them in a one-to-one way. But if you're looking at both of these guys and you say, I'm building a team, which guy would you say is the one you'd rather
1: have? I would probably go Fournette, but that's not just... Look, i got to tell you, I look at this through a little different lens I think it's based on physically. I think I'm not worried about the, the high ankle sprain issue he had last year, the ankle. Sure. Um, I'm not really that worried about that with Leonard Fournette. I am a little worried about shoulder issues that uh, Dalvin Cook has had. I am a little bit worried about, you know, some of the whispers from scouts that Dalvin runs with, with a crew that is going to potentially be in his ear and you gotta make sure that you you know that, that when he's off the field and his time is his time. That he's he's going to still be focused because he's had some issues off the field, without question, dating back to his high school years. So, I mean, it is a consideration when you start saying who am I going to who am I going to bet on for the next seven years? I would probably go Leonard Fournette, but I'm still telling you that I know that Dalvin Cook is the more talented pure runner. I think Dal- Dalvin Cook is maybe the more the most talented pure running back in this in this draft um, when it comes to being able to do something for you on all three downs and vision and and elusiveness combined with burst. But Leonard Fournette, if you get him in the right system where you let him go downhill, I mean, he's got some rare acceleration traits for a big, physical, powerful guy. And I know he's going to create for himself through power and through speed. And, you know, to me, um, I think when he backs it back down to about 232 pounds, 230 pounds, I think you're going to see an even faster um, player. So for me, I would build around the guy who physically can dominate a game, and I think that's, I think that's one of Fournette. But once you get past Fournette and Cook, though, it really, it really gets interesting to me. But as far as I'm concerned, and I'm glad you pointed out those two, I think those two are clearly the one-two. You can have a little different taste in terms of Alvin Kamara or or Christian McCaffrey, or you know, and I, I'm not going to leave Joe Mixon out of that this particular conversation because I don't think there's any chance. He goes before any of those four running backs, but um, strictly because of the off-field stuff. But to me, this is clearly, if you're going to look at running back, what kind of runner do you like? Do you like the Fournette kind, or do you like the Dalvin Cook kind? Because they're two very different types of running backs, but they're clearly one and two to me.
0: It's really interesting because obviously as a running back, your main goal is to make life easier on your offensive lineman and on yourself. And I think both of these guys do that. They allow themselves to create out of nothing, and they're going to make their lines look better. They just do it in completely disparate ways. Furnette's just going to run people over. He's going to get yards after contact. He's going to be a monster. Cook sets things up extremely well. His vision's fantastic. I really have dug into these guys over the last 24 hours for the first time. And every time you... Really watch a guy for the first time, you sort of chew on his tape. You, I always try to say, all right, who does he remind me of? And with Fournette, it's difficult just because, like you said, his physical traits and the combination of them are so rare. And with Cook, what I saw, and maybe this is just a bias because I saw the same guy in the same uniform, he reminds me of a slightly bigger Devontae Freeman just the way he moves and what his vision looks like. So that's – what do you want? Do you want a battering ram, or do you want a guy that's going to be able to make your team better in different ways? And I don't know the answer to that. I just think that in my mind, Cook can be successful in a bigger variety of schemes than Fournette can. But that's just my initial take on the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, Leonard Fournette is that big piece of – you know he's just like that big ribeye where you know exactly what you're getting it's going to fit for a lot of people, but you, you want something more nuanced. You want something with some layers of flavor. That's Dalvin Cook. And I think Dalvin Cook can fit more schemes, frankly, uh, more palettes, if you will, of general managers, but the old reliable stake is, is, is physical traits, and that's what Leonard Fournette has, especially rare physical traits. But when it comes to watching a tape, I'm with you. I, I, saw, I saw actually a young Clinton Portis. From the uh, Denver Broncos, sure. when I when I looked at um, when I looked at Dalvin Cook, I think he's got some of that same explosive one cut ability. And look, his four five oh or four four nine at the combine, Dalvin Cook, he plays even faster than that. I mean, when he hits the gas, he's got a second he's got a second speed going around the corner that is really impressive. He saves his very best games for the biggest games. He usually plays well in games against Florida in games against Clemson in games against um, Miami. But he reminds me of Clinton Portis. Clinton was an explosive one-cut runner who could, you know, hit the home run at any point when he was coming out of Miami and playing for Alex Gibbs in Denver. Um, I see the same thing, honestly, in Dalvin Cook. I think he has that same ability. And I think Dalvin Cook flips switches at at various times. And I don't love that. I don't love that he has to turn it on and off because I think Fournette plays at the same general, you know, uh, urgency level when he plays but Dalvin Cook when he wants to and hits his switch I mean it's pretty impressive he's got some impressive impressive qualities to him and he's been doing it for three years that's what you know we have three years of, of really consistent tape with him before that you know it was kind of physically impressive his freshman year but just you know okay he's supposed to be better than everyone the second year I thought was awesome and this year it was obviously filled with injuries so you not get a great feel for what he could do this year
0: and you talk about Clinton Portis. I mean, Clinton Portis is maybe the second prettiest outside zone runner ever. Uh, if, if you want to put Terrell yep. Davis one, I think Clint Portis is right there. I mean, it's few guys have that natural feel for it. And I also thought that Portis, he never caught a ton of balls. I think that the most he ever caught was like 45 in Washington, but he was a capable receiver. And I also think that that's what part of the conversation is with Net, for Net and Cook is that Cook can catch the ball in the backfield. He has that ability to him. Are you worried that Fournette is so limited in that area that it's going to keep him off the field in on the downs that actually matter?
1: Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about that. Without question, I think that uh, I think he can catch it. But, but here's what I want to know: Can he be used on screens? Can he be used on, you know, swing passes? Um, is he going to be physical enough? I mean, I'm not really worried about physicality. Is he going to have that desire to step up and face people up? when they're blitzing, I I think he'll do that as well with cook. Just like you said, with, with Portis, I know what he's capable of out of the backfield. I have no doubt about that with Fournette, I think he's, you know, if you're a team who says, look, we're going to be fine having a third down specialist as we just want a guy who can catch a pass on first or second down, you know, and and we just want to know if we throw it to him, he can, he can catch it. I think he's got that. I've seen that on tape. I think he can catch it if you throw it to him. Is he going to be dynamic? No. Can he stay on third and five? Can he stay on third and four? I think that's the real question, Robert, is I don't know. And, I, and I'm not sure any NFL team could say for sure if they know as well. To me, that answer is really going to have more to do with his intelligence, his football intelligence of picking up blitzes more so than his pass catching, if you really want to know the truth
0: they ran that play at LSU this year where they would use him as like an offset fullback in certain scenarios. And then he would just run that little oh. banana into the flat. And I saw him catch that a couple times. I mean, he's the, he doesn't look yeah. like he's fighting himself that much, but it's not as if he's the natural pass catcher that these guys are. And to me, the biggest problem is if you're going to say we can't have him on the field on third and five, can you really justify taking a guy in the top 10 that you can't have on the field on third and five? That's difficult.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really fair question, and I'm not sure the answer on that one. Um, I think it will depend on how many touchdowns he's scoring for teams. If you sure. look, you have to once again. If he's a really good blitz pickup guy, if he's a guy who can who, who can face up a gap blitzers and, and, and put it on them, then yeah, I think you say, well, I'm not going to worry as much about him not being a pass catching threat because we got three wides that we want to utilize. We're not going to. We want our running back to be able to pick up blitzes. So I think that's an individual team fit where they've got to say, we don't care as much about our running back being able to um, to catch it as much as we care about him being good with blitz pickup. If that's the case, then, yeah, you're, in, you're still in good shape, I think, with Fournette potentially. I think, I think he has some of that to him. If, however, you want a more dynamic running back, a guy that you know can play all three downs, then you have a little bit of a question mark with Leonard Fournette. And I think if you have that question mark with Leonard Fournette, my guess is, that you're going to pass on a running back altogether outside of the top ten picks. You know, I honestly, based on the talent I saw at the Combine on, on the defensive side of the ball, I think if two offensive players go, anything more than two offensive players going in the top ten would be a little bit of a surprise to me.
0: And obviously the quarterbacks are a huge wrinkle there. We have no idea what's going to happen in the next month the same way we didn't know last year. I mean, it didn't seem like two quarterbacks would go in the top two picks last season, but they did. So there's always that wrinkle to it and then there's the question of how high does somebody put John Ross because of measurables. I mean it's there's so many layers to that but I agree it just seems like a draft where there's enough guys that can dominate games defensively where you'd really be reaching if you took a running back or receiver or anybody higher than some of these defensive players.
1: Yeah, I would not you know if I had a team I probably wouldn't take any I wouldn't take any running back or wide receiver in the top 10. There's not one that that blows me away. I've got and look, I've got a high, high grade on Leonard Fournette based on um, based on the, the elite trait he has, traits of, of speed, explosion, and power. It's rare for an NFL running back and those kind of guys tend to score touchdowns and those kind of guys can really dominate if they get in the right offensive line. But by the same token, you know, I just I recognize that running back value is just not something that it's, it's not the same as it once was. It's, it just, it's not what we've seen in the past. I understand that there is a different approach to it. There's an analytical approach that says we can, we can, unless a guy's really, really special. um, and, And to me, Robert, I think you hit it right. Really special to me is no doubt about being a three down back. I look at Alvin Kamara and Alvin Kamara to me is, is certainly, more of an NFL running back, you know what today's NFL is, more so than Leonard Fournette. In some ways, Leonard Fournette is a throwback running back. Um, Derrick Henry, I, now I, this is a, you know, this is a, a faster running back. than Leonard Fournette, but Derrick Henry didn't go till the second round. Don't be shocked if Leonard Fournette falls because teams, that, that's just not their taste. And if a team loves what Christian McCaffrey brings to the table, and Alvin Kamara, two guys who can catch it. And who can be uh, very effective on on third downs? We always talk about sub packages, right? Well, this is a sub package league, so you know playing an odd or even front is irrelevant, or or, you know linebackers aren't as important. Well, if it's a sub package league, then you also have running backs that you need to play on sub package downs, on three wide receiver downs. And if that's the case, you may say you may have teams say, you know what, McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara and even Cook, we, we would rather have that in the second or you know, potentially late first or even trade back into the, you know, early parts of the second round to get something like that, as opposed to spending an early top eight draft pick to add that, uh add a guy like Fournette who we're not really super sure about on third down.
0: All right, before we get to some of the other running backs involved in this year's class, I wanted to get to one of our other sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Ringer University. With March Madness here, our college basketball experts, Tate Frazier and Mark Titus, tell you everything you need to know about this year's tournament. You can listen and subscribe to their podcast by searching Ringer University on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. So that's that brings me to the next guy I wanted to talk about, because I wanted to chat about McCaffrey just kind of as a standalone Entity in this draft. I watched him a bunch this morning and I'd I'd watched him a little bit in college because I don't live under a rock. I mean, by osmosis, I had to catch him every once in a while. And watching the games I did today, I watched Cal, I watched Kansas State, I watched UCLA, um, and USC. And correct me if I'm wrong in, in saying that to me, this guy just doesn't seem like an NFL running back. I think he has a lot of traits that are extremely marketable and extremely attractive, but watching him, even in those games, it just doesn't seem like he's going to be a guy that you want lined up in the backfield on first down. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but just watching him in my first impressions, that's not what I see from him.
1: So he's a low 200s running back. Yep. Um, I don't think he has that big burst from the, from the, the second to the third level. So what I saw on tape and and, and the numbers back this up too, in terms of his yards, after contact numbers, um, he is not a big tackle breaker. He can elude tackles and he'll run hard, but he's not a guy that's going to rip through a bunch of arm tackles, uh, especially NFL arm tackles. So, because he's got a good burst, but I don't think I don't think it's a special burst. I think a lot of potentially, you know, potential twelve to fifteen yard carries are going to turn into gains of four and six, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what I, what I mean by that is I'm not sure he's that lead back. That is going to be able to just gash a team and get you chunk yards. I think what you're going to have with Christian McCaffrey, who's got very good vision, very good feet, but not a not a not a big plus burst and not a bunch of big plus power, is you have a guy who's going to potentially have some, you know, depending on how a team defends him or how it's blocked up for him up front, he's going to have to maybe fight a little harder to create yards for himself. And in that regard, that's why I have him as the fourth running back behind. Behind uh, Alvin Kamara, number three. And frankly, he was behind Joe Mixon for a while. And I just dropped Joe Mixon just because, look, I don't try to, I'm not going to just pepper his draft grade with, you know, I I say right up front, his grade would be higher, but, you know, because of the character issue. But I'm also not going to just knock him all the way back on a character front. I'm trying to grade the football player. Of course. Um, And I do think a a player's personal character can, can leak into their football character as well. But um, with McCaffrey, see, you think he's a wide receiver. I don't think he's a wide receiver per se, but I do think he's a pass-catching running back, and maybe we're saying the same thing. I I think he's a gadget player who can turn into a nightmare for defensive coordinators if he's deployed by the right offensive coordinator.
0: I would 100% agree. And when I say wide receiver, I mean a guy that lines up in the slot or out wide in certain situations. I also think he'd be valuable in the backfield, but mostly as a receiver. He is so good at understanding space. And I I can't remember which game it was. I want to say it was Kansas State. It was Cal. He lined up in the shotgun to the right, and just watching him destroy somebody on an option route, it's like, that's what this guy can do. He is so good at being able to manipulate those open spaces. And that's what he's best at. And then there was another play against USC where they lined him out wide to the left. And he ran a double move that just cooked whoever that that outside corner was for USC. And it was an overthrow. It didn't matter. But you watch those plays compared to watching him as a running back, and you say, well, that's how I get excited about this guy. But very rarely was there a zone play or anything else where I'm watching him make one cut and go where I say, oh, yeah, this is what I want out of this person. This is how I see him.
1: You know, people, and this is what I find funny, because I've got to do NFL comps, um, and I don't love doing NFL comps, but I think it does the reader a service of, of trying to let them in on You know, who this player might be like, because most of these, most people who follow the NFL draft, most people are not going to have an intimate knowledge of these college players. They just want to know, okay, I watch my NFL team a lot. Who is this guy like? Who can you tell me who he's like that I might have seen? And so my job is to try to find a, a reasonable comparison. And people are very hypersensitive these days to falling into, you know, falling into the rut or being accused of falling into, you know, the the fallback of, of racial stereotypes yep. for black quarterbacks, for white wide receivers, for right, well, not really white running backs. You're not going to find too many. But I, I understand people's willingness and desire to get away from that. And and when I get an opportunity to, I'm, I'm cognizant of it. I'm aware of it. And I just look for the best possible fits. But sometimes if a guy has dreadlocks blowing out of, or, or braids blowing out of the back of his helmet, you tend to think of a player who looks like that who's yeah. played. Um, the same way that when you look at Cooper Cup, you could say, man, that looks like Kevin Walter used to look like the way he runs and the physical upper body, the, the the way his arms are built. And and you have a, you have a tendency of just of shifting into guys who physically, you know, to the eyeball test, they look similar. Then if you can translate, like my, my comparison on Cooper Cup was, 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 um, uh, um, uh, Landry, um, uh, from, yeah, Jarvis Landry from yeah. Miami. That's that's who he plays like. That's really what his game is very similar to. He's not going to be the holy grail is when you can comments. find
0: one of those. When you can find the cross racial comparison, oh, you know you did your work.
1: I mean, somebody was exactly somebody was really uh, like Lance. You didn't Christian McCaffrey. It's not going. You know, your 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 um, your comparison on him is not going to be Zach Zinner or. Um, <laughs> yeah, who was the, the the white running back from Stanford before? Oh my God, uh, Toby Gerhardt. Toby Gerhardt. Yeah, Toby, Toby Gerhardt. Gerhard. I'm like Toby yeah. Gerhardt. He's nothing like Toby. I mean, his guy Not is at all. Nothing like Toby Gerhardt. And my cop on him was uh, uh was was actually, uh, oh man, I've, done. I've re-looked at so many players. Um, Tiki Barber was my cop on on Christian McCaffrey because I think he's physically built like Tiki. I think he has some of the same shiftiness and elusiveness. He doesn't strike you as an every-down running back, but Tiki was able to handle that. He was able to handle passes out of the backfield. But, you know, i got to tell you, from his playing style, and this doesn't sound like a compliment, and they're not physically built exactly the same, but I can promise you that if he played for San Diego with Phillip Rivers, he would be Danny Woodhead all over again. He'd get 70, 80 catches easily. Christian McCaffrey would in that offense easily.
0: And I see that a little bit. I feel like he would even be able to line up outside a little bit more than Danny Woodhead ever did. You know, use more like those Patriots running backs are, or what Shane Vereen has done at times in the past. Completely. So that,
1: completely. And his route running is, I, I'd it's like excellent. to say it's underrated, but it's not underrated. Everyone, Robert, Everyone knows how good he is with his routes.
0: And I think that's what's so interesting about him is that we have players like that in the league, right? Whether it's, I don't know. James White isn't a fantastic runner, but he's a good receiver. I don't think he's as good a runner. But if you look at some of the stuff Giovanni Bernard has done in the league after the catch, things of that nature. So it becomes an interesting conversation about value, because if this guy isn't somebody that's going to run the ball a ton, if his value is more as a gadget player, as a receiver, how high can he go? And I that's not that's a rhetorical question because I don't know the answer. I have no idea how much we should value those guys anymore because I feel like more and more they're becoming central pieces of an offense, but it's never been a situation where they've been taken this high. So if he goes in the top in the first round, if he goes in the top 20, then it's kind of a new scenario because it's been a long time since somebody like that has gone that high. I mean, when is the last time a pass catching running back was taken in the first round? It was probably Reggie Bush. And when that happened, we didn't, we didn't consider him that way.
1: No, no, and he was considered a much greater weapon. And you know, you could you could argue about the fact that he may been live up to the high for his career. But you know what's interesting is I think it's I think we have to remember that we on the outside are flawed in terms of we we are forced to look from a lens that has thirty two filters on it. So we're we're looking with a wide open lens, and so when you and I have this conversation about well, how high are you willing to go with a guy like that? Well, what is the value of a pass-catching running back? Well, for um, the Carolina Panthers, on a scale of 1 to 10, it might be a 3. For the yeah. New England Patriots, it might be a 9. And what I and the reason I'm bringing this up is if I ask you to, to list your 50 favorite songs of all time, Robert, your list is going to be substantially different from mine. We're choosing from the same pool, but our own preferences and our own emotions and our own... You know, what we look for out of music is going to be different, and it's going to be different for most people. That's why when you try to create a top 50 all-time list of anything, it's difficult. Well, we're doing the same thing in the draft. We're trying to come up with top 50 and top 100 lists and who's a projected first or second rounders. You know what New England does? New England immediately strikes off about about 60% of the players in the draft because they don't meet certain criteria, and they're not the only team. The Green Bay Packers will be striking off cornerbacks typically who are sub 5'11. I guarantee you they're striking off cornerbacks that can't run now. Um, so, you know, these individual teams, what their filter looks like is going to be much, much different than what you and I look at it when we're trying to take this very broad opinion and bro- broad approach to all these players and say, well, how is this guy valued amongst 32 teams? When an NFL team will say, look, we think this guy's the sixth best player on the board. But we know that he's not going to go there, so we're going to have, you know, so we're going to figure out how we're going to draft him and take him, so that we don't overdraft him or or under, you know, or, or undervalue a player. But I'm just trying to tell you that the NFL teams, they're allowed to have a very fine-tuned filter. When I'm putting grades on a player, I got to put a grade that's a very broad, general, narrow grade. In the way that you're looking at it as well, Robert, is, a, is through a very broad. I'm sorry, not narrow, but a very broad focus, you know, a very broadly focused filter. And you don't get the, you don't really, Robert, you and I don't get a chance to say, well, this is what we want out of a cornerback, a running back, a wide receiver, and we're going to put our own personal desires and biases into our ratings. We can't really do that when we're doing this for the public because we have to play to the masses.
0: It's so true. And you just look at the list of teams and that's why McCaffrey is so interesting to me because, I think there are certain groups of skill position players where he'd fit. I keep thinking about Tampa Bay, and they add Sean Jackson. So you have Jackson Evans, you know, whatever they have at running back. I think they're going to move on from Doug Martin. Chris Sims oh, is a very great good call pe- on Tampa. That's a-, a,
1: that's a great call.
0: Well, I'm just sitting there thinking about how it would fit. And if you think that Chris, I don't know what they're going to do at running back. They need to do something in terms of a guy they can hand the ball to. And if you think Sims is that guy, that's fine. I think he's an underrated player who can be a three down guy. But then if you use McCaffrey in the slot, if you use him as more of an intermediate middle of the field receiver, that can exploit defenses in a way no other guy in your roster can. It works perfectly with the puzzle. But then think about how Tampa's offense works. There just isn't a lot of those type of plays. And then you start to ask the question, well, are those plays absent because they don't have a player to run them or because that's not what they value? So that's what you're saying is just that we try to put these pieces together, but we have no idea what sort of what frame of mind these teams start in. So that's why this mock draft thing and even try to piece together needs is next to impossible. There's absolutely no way to understand What is the part? What is the value system of these teams and what is derived from the players that they have or need? So it's a tough thing to put together. It's why I do not envy Danny Kelly, who is doing a mock draft for the ringer as we move forward here, which you should go read all of you today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Danny does great work. And um, it's it's really difficult because it's a thankless position because every fan base, has a good feel for what their needs are. So when you we, when you put a player there that they don't like, they're just going to skewer you um, nationally. But what I try to do is I try to go get in the minds of how these teams operate. I, I look at their draft histories. I look at philosophies. And then I work off of the understanding that NFL teams don't work like fans. If there's a player that they think is a special player, a lot of times they'll draft him. Even if they have somebody at that same position, you know, good teams draft really good players because they know that great players um, ultimately went out over everything. Well, that's not a need. Yeah, you know what? I remember when the Portland Trailblazers said they weren't going to draft Jordan because they had Clyde Drexler. That was stupid. Go get great <laughs> players. Great players um, do great things. And you can't always just get so hyper-focused on priority needs. You've got to be looking out for great players at all times.
0: You need as an idea in drafts is such a moving target. And I think we saw that a ton in this free agency period. You know, you go back man. to when the Bengals drafted Fisher and they drafted a buoy and they said, well, why would they do that? They have two starting tackles. Well, we've come around and they lost both those guys. So unless both of those dudes can start and play, the Bengals are in trouble. The same goes when you're looking at what yeah. Kirk Cousins is going to do this year. You're saying, Oh man, Deshaun Jackson and, Pierre Garcon are gone. What are they going to do? Well, that's why they drafted Josh Doxon last year. So the idea of need never is a long-lasting thing in the NFL. Needs change every single season. So that's what good teams yeah. do. That's exactly what they do. They said this is the player that so, we think is the best.
1: I don't know how long it takes you to do mock drafts. It takes me about five hours to do a mock draft.
0: I've never done one in my why. life. <laughs> yeah, oh, come on, I've never done one in my life. That is never a practice I have gotten into. I, I fear it with everything that I have. Maybe I'll do one for fun this year. I just I don't. I think
1: I'd get ninety
0: eight percent of them wrong.
1: You are the luckiest person. Well, it's like going out <laughs> of the bracket. It's the same thing. But um, so here's the thing. For me, it takes forever. I go to like spot track and I go look at future contracts and sure. I try to think like an NFL team. And I want to know who's got expiring contracts. I go look at what cap figures are next year and who could become cap casualties because that's what teams do. And I start making picks, and fans don't like that at all. But I think that they're only thinking, as you mentioned, that's a great that's a great example you brought up with, with uh, the um, the Cincinnati Bengals. Steelers fans don't like that I had a wide receiver going to them. And all I want to say is, look, I know you have Antonio Brown. You don't actually think Martavis Bryant is going to be able to stick in the NFL. Do you? I mean you realize it. one more and he's done and the guy's had a zillion positive tests so far. So, you know, I'm not sure why you think that's such a surefire thing. Then you had two wide receivers who couldn't catch the ball, who been publicly made comments about the, the situation being too big for them in the postseason. You know, you've got to, you got to think like, you've got to try to think like an NFL team does um, when you look at some of this. And of course you have to look, you know, you have to look forward to the financial ramifications of veteran players too, because that factors into it. Teams are always looking to draft behind a player. There's a reason that the, the Patriots drafted Jacoby Brissett two years ago, because they probably understood that Garoppolo would be coming up contract-wise. And and anytime you draft a quarterback, regardless, it has a chance to turn into a um, a very financial. Uh, I mean, a, a very favorable uh, financial tool, a bargaining chip for you. That's what quarterbacks are potentially commodities. We saw that with, well, it could have been potentially with Mike Glennon, but it turned out to not be a, a bargaining chip. But, you know, that's what quarterbacks are. So you have to know how teams operate. And any, anytime you try to get the head, what Bill Belichick is doing, that is easily the hardest thing to do in a mock draft it's almost
0: impossible <laughs> yeah them and the, there's a couple other teams it just seems like i have no idea whatever what's ever going to happen you know there are, occasionally you can pin them down you know that year that the panthers took two defensive tackles in two rounds it's like oh yeah they're hammering in need but then the panthers every other year it's like ah no we're just going to take a dude that's six spots down our depth chart now it's kind of amazing i mean it every year it changes for every team pretty much except the patriots so right, i wanted to get well, into a couple but, of these Seattle. oh go ahead
1: Well, I mean, Seattle's got Thomas Rawls, they've got T.J. Proseis, Alex Collins, and now they add Eddie Lacy. I mean, I don't. something's going on over there with the running back position, because they just keep adding running backs and adding (laughs) running backs.
0: Yeah, that's just probably to me where Rawls is one of those guys they didn't value that much. He was fine in that season that he played, but he's a guy that wasn't drafted. There's a reason for that. I mean, I think we do that all the time, where there's a sixth or seventh round running back that has a flash of whatever. It's like, oh, this guy's a real player. The Raiders did not want Latavius Murray. They, they don't want him for anything. I mean, he's going to get signed for not a lot of money somewhere else, and that's a product of the fact that I don't think he's that good. When you have a flash as a running back, and fantasy informs this, because he's part of the consciousness of NFL fans everywhere, there's more conversation about that player, and he gets pumped up into something that he's not. I feel like that happens all the time.
1: Yeah, and, well, you know, Rawls, I think it could be also – there were some character concerns coming out because um, I think he's a talented back and a physical back, but you know sometimes we don't know about how. And I'm not saying this is the case, and I haven't heard this, but we also don't know how guys are working in the off season. We don't know, sure. you know, about their interactions with guys in locker rooms. We don't know what kind of character they have off the field, and if football is just as important to them. So. You know, that's the one thing with Rawls, the way he came out two years ago and played, and now they're still looking around for running backs. They drafted two in Alex Collins last year and CJ Pro size, That would tell me that, you know, that, that, that makes me wonder what's going on with Thomas Rawls. There's something that they're not really buying into over there with, with Rawls, but that's a, I don't know, that's a, a separate topic. But, you know, it also gets to Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara is, you turn on the A&M tape and it's not even fair because, Alvin Kamara's AM tape is probably as good as any, not only running back, but I'll just say any player in the draft. Nobody had tape that's consistently as good in one game as Alvin Kamara's versus Texas a and um, He was amazing in that game. And I don't know, you, you probably haven't had a chance to look at it yet. I haven't seen that it. one. Tell I watched Kentucky and
0: Alabama today, so I'll, I'll definitely take yeah. a look at that yeah, one. Yeah,
1: go, go take a look at A&M. That's the one that has everyone so excited. But he's never had more than 18 carries in a single game he left Alabama and came over to Tennessee. He was never the full-time dude at Tennessee. You know, it's one of those questions where you say, okay, well, you know, I wish we had a, I wish we had a sample size of where he was absolutely the dude the whole time, but you don't, you never really got that with him. And so it's, you're kind of working off of, well, he didn't have a lot of wear and tear off the, off the tread off the tire. So that's in our favor. Yeah, that's true. But, how many times did he have to handle a 26-carry load? How many times did he have to you know, take over games and back-to-back-to-back situations and carry Tennessee through a tough spell? Never. He's never done any of those. So that's what makes it you know, – I've seen that with McCaffrey. I know what it looks like with Cook. No question I've seen that with Leonard Fournette. Um, even some with, with Joe Mixon. I've never seen it with Alvin Kamara. I don't know. I just know the tape is special at times.
0: When's the last time a junior college running back had this small of a sample size and went as high as the second round? Usually those guys have been around for a while. Running back is a weird position where I can't remember that many dudes who had a weird situation like that.
1: You're talking about with Kamara?
0: Yeah. Just a guy who had, I mean, he's been in yeah, Tennessee for two, two years. years.
1: Yeah, you know that he started at Alabama. Yeah. And
0: then he, and then he went, he got, so, he, yeah, he left Alabama and then he went to that, he went to a junior college, correct? And then he went to Tennessee after college, that. Yeah.
1: And the rumor was that he left Alabama because he wasn't happy about playing time. And then, uh, I think on a recruiting trip, one, I understand on a recruiting trip, he may have told a guy not to come to Alabama. Man, oh, wow. <laughs> that'll get you. Yeah. That'll get you kind of pushed out of, out of, out of the program. That's, that's the rumor on that one. But, um. You know, I don't know. We'd have to look into it. I bet it's happened more than we think it's happened. Probably. But it's just hard I mean, for me to pick guys, a guy. Yeah, yeah. And he's coming out of, you know, and he's coming out. Um, I mean, he is a, he's a talented, talented player, Kamara, but it's a little it's a little tougher to find. I think, you know, for me, I think the three, I'll give you a guy under the radar that you need to look for. One of the guys that I really like a lot in this year's draft is um, Jeremy McNichols from Boise State. He's about 5'9", about 212 pounds, at least he was this spring. He's going to be a guy who's not fast, but he's got good running back play speed. He's not going to hit a bunch of 60-run home runs, but he's got tremendous balance. He's got very good vision, and he plays at consistent pace and a consistent speed. I think when you look at running, and I've had a decent success rate with finding running backs outside of the first, this is the guy that I think is one of the safest running backs um, outside of the first round. And I think Jeremy McNichols probably goes, my guess is maybe in the third round, but I really, he's one of those guys I really like because he looks like an NFL running back. He plays like an NFL running back. He's, he can catch the ball really well and he's over 210 pounds, which to me is kind of, you know, the line that you want to look for. And that's, I'm not sure McCaffrey is going to be at that line on his pro day. I think he came in maybe a little light for the workout because he wanted to run well too, which he did. But I think he'll try to gain as much weight as he can for that pro day to where he looks like he's about 213, 214 pounds, where I don't think he actually carries that much weight um, when he's playing. But Jeremy McNichols is one running back. And then Tarek, Coleman, uh, Tarek Cohen from North Carolina a and You really have to go watch him. If you want to talk about a guy who can annihilate people on option routes, Christian McCaffrey is good. Cohen is elite. He's five foot six out of North Carolina ante, nicknamed the human joystick. He has tremendous stop start quickness. Like with a lot of running backs who are small, he's got just ridiculous acceleration um, out of his cuts. But he is basically impossible to handle out of the backfield. And they played a lower level of competition, so you know it's kind of hard to balance it out. But if you don't see Darren Sproles when you watch him, a little smaller version of it from a from a weight standpoint. I don't know who else you see because he's that kind of running back. And he's a classic case. For example, on Draft Scout, they've got him on um, like seventh free agent grade. I'll be shocked if he makes it outside of the fourth round because he's a special type of running back that will only fit for certain teams. But teams who covet those impossible matchup running backs, and we know it's become, you know, a New England thing. But for other teams who want to copycat that, this guy is going to. Be a weapon that you have to have a plan for them when you draft them. But when you do, you you got yourself something special, especially out of the backfield.
0: I, that's what I love on those later round picks—just somebody that fills a specific role. You know, either I, in my opinion, mm-hmm. those picks should be used for one specific piece of the offense that's not necessarily an every-down guy or monster athletic traits with no production whatsoever. Let's make him into a player. I think fourth round and later—that's exactly what I'm swinging for most of the time. So that makes total sense to me. So in your mind, is McNichols kind of that the guy who could be the Jordan Howard of this year's draft, somebody that goes after the third, fourth round or in that third, fourth round range that just looks like an NFL running back and is one?
1: Yeah, yeah, I could see that, absolutely. Because I had a high grade on – I basically would have to a first-round grade on Jordan Howard last year, but I knew he wouldn't go there. But from a, a vision standpoint, a toughness standpoint, and he had enough wiggle that I knew he could do something – if he, you know, if, if if he was given the chance to get downhill, when I look at McNichols, he's not going to be as big as Jordan Howard. Yeah, but I think they're similar in that, you know, they're going to hit the hole the same way. And I think, yeah, I, I do think that he's one of those guys that an NFL team could end up really falling in love with the way that he plays the game. And he can play on three downs and those kind of running backs carry more value when they can legitimately play three downs. You know, there's value to those kind of running backs.
0: Before we get out of here, I want to talk about Joe Mixon just for a second. You know, not from a we have to talk about Joe Mixon perspective, but just from a talent le- on a talent level, it seems like he's involved in the conversation with the McNichols, with the Kamaras, in that second tier of players. Just based on that, I mean, what sort of player are we looking at? Is he as good or better than everybody except those big three we talked about at the beginning?
1: Um, I think he's in the conversation to be in the big three. Got it. I, I think. Because he is special out of the backfield. I mean, special. He's David Johnson basically. He can make one hand grabs. Um, he has hit a ton of big plays for Oklahoma out of the backfield this year. He does too much dancing around. It almost looks like he fancies himself a Le'Veon Bell type and that kind of stuff. I've only seen running two running backs ever who could get away with that: Barry Sanders and Le'Veon Bell. And I think Mixon does too much of that right now. But Joe Mixon has very loose hips. He can he can wiggle and make you miss. He's 220 pounds, so he's way bigger than you think he's gonna be. Um, he can run with some elusiveness, and he is a really, really talented pass catcher out of the backfield. So when you start talking about guys who can play, you know, from goal line to goal line, that's that's Joe Mixon. There's some guys who are from twenty from the twenty to the twenty, and there's some guys, you know, who who you want to really lock in on uh, around the goal line. But Joe Mixon, to me, can play from goal line to goal line, no problem. So from a physical talent standpoint, you know, I, I, think, I think the five names, Fournette, Cook, Kamara, McCaffrey, and Mixon, those are those five guys. How you want to mix them up is your business. And then how, how badly you, you punish Mixon and what you expect the punishment to be for Mixon by NFL teams, well, that's, you know, that's a completely separate discussion.
0: It is, and it's a discussion that is going to be had. It's a discussion that should be had, and it's a similar deal to what Mm -hmm. happened with Tyreek Hill last year. It's something that we should bring up. It is uncomfortable, but it's supposed to be, and that's it's going to be a conversation that happens all the way through the draft and when the draft happens, but I think Hill is somebody to look at in this situation. He's a guy that played at a small school and went in the fifth round based on how physically talented he was. Joe Mixon dominated games in Oklahoma. So if you, don't, if you think that he's going to be dinged that much, if it's going to be a seventh-round flyer sort of situation, I think you're wrong. I mean, this is a guy who's going to get taken with a real draft pick, and that's why he needs to be talked about in situations like this, in, in kind of in climates like this, because on a football level, it's going to matter here in the next month and a half.
1: Okay, so you, you follow the climate of the NFL and you know what happened with Ray Rice and everything. So I want to ask you, where... You haven't studied Joe Mixon probably as much as you're going to. But if I told you that Joe Mixon has the talent and the size of David Johnson, and let's say you know his background, you know the character issue he has, do you think, or the concerns that teams will have, do you think a player like that goes inside the first three rounds?
0: I do. I would not be surprised at all if he got drafted in the third round. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me yeah, at all. When I, I do it, do I condone it? Am I happy about it? Not at all. But it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever.
1: So I had I had a team. I mentioned this to a team. I've been you know digging around on him over the last two months, just kind of taking the temperature of some some teams. And I asked a guy, I said, boy, he ran well, didn't he? Like a 4-4-3, four, four, I think he ran it it his, his pro day, worked out well. He said, I don't care what he runs. He said, he's not going to be able to outrun a videotape of him punching a woman. He said, Lance, I, I can't say this enough he's not going inside the first three rounds. He said, I, if you were the general manager that drafts a guy, there's video out there. He said, and his point was, there was no video of Greg Hardy. There's no video of Tyree kill. There is a video. It will be shown on NFL network, on ESPN, more than likely on draft day at some point, certainly on the wrap up, it will be shown in this town where he's drafted. Um, and it will be shown multiple times, if you're the GM that takes a player who has punched someone on videotape, a female, and caused four facial fractures, if you're the general manager, first of all, this is an owner pick. There is no general manager who will take Joe Mixon without an owner signing off. The first thing you have to do is take the temperature of all owners. Sometimes people get general managers mixed up with owners. This is a 100% owner decision. My dad said when he coached with the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, Kevin Colbert's in charge of the draft, but the Rooneys would come in, and they would apprise the Roonies of, of every guy who had character issues. And they would say, okay, this guy has this, this guy has this, this guy has this. The Rooneys might have follow-up questions. And the Rooneys would say, strike them, strike them, keep them, strike them, cr- keep them," And they would make the decision about who was on the draft board or who wasn't. I think ultimately most owners, when it comes to mixing, they are going to be the ones early in the process. And when I say early, you know, like, Within the next month, who say he's on our board or he's off our board? That decision is going to be made by the owner, not the co- not the head coach and not the general manager.
0: And that's fine with me. And if he does get dinged where he goes way later in the draft, if he goes undrafted, I mean, which I don't think is going to happen, but you're right. I, don't think I mean, so we, these situations don't happen in the same way every time. It's not is Joe Mixon the same as Tyree Kill? That's probably the wrong way to think about it. They do. They are different. The video does matter, even if it shouldn't. And you're right. I mean, that that is how it's going to go. I mean, it's it's a different way every time. And how much Tyree kill did seem to have remorse about it, how much treatment he had gotten. Those things should play into the conversation. And I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but it, he is a guy that on a talent level is as good as any of these other guys, like you said. So, you know, that's why yeah, he has he to be a part of this conversation. Well, it's something to pay attention to as we move forward here. But Lance, thank you very much for the time. This is always very informative, always very fun. I really appreciate it, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon, man. You got some work to do, man. Get in that tape. Uh, it's it's starting. It's starting in full force, and I'm excited about it. Uh, guys, we'll be back next week chatting about the quarterbacks, and again, every week from here on out as we move on to the draft. Really appreciate you guys listening, as always, and I'll talk to you soon.